Hi, everyone. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Lady Science Podcast. Today on the show is a voice that is probably familiar to many of you, and she is joining us to talk about science journalism in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Wendy Zuckerman is the host and executive producer of the Gimlet Media podcast, Science Versus, a show that pits myths and trends against science. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Um, so on Science Versus, you've been reporting on COVID-19 since late January, when the virus was still relatively isolated to China. But I wanted to go back even before that to the pandemic episode you ran in October 2019, in which you played out a fictional pandemic scenario and even had Anthony Fauci to weigh in on the, on the accuracy of this. Um, and this hit on everything from border closures to lack of ventilators. And I'll be honest, it kind of melted my brain to go back and listen to it <laughs> now. Um, so I'm wondering what it's been like for you to have gone through this entire fictional scenario months before we had to actually live it, and if there's been anything that you've been surprised at how accurate it turned out to be. Yeah, it's been weird. It's been really weird. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> it. It was. It was like crazy that it happened um because so we we dropped that episode and then like just a couple of months later we started hearing about this virus in Wuhan and you know even at that point I was thinking oh this isn't gonna be this isn't gonna be what we created like that's that's crazy of course <laughs> not it'll be contained it'll be like SARS the original like um this isn't that moment and then we reported on our first coronavirus episode, yeah, in January, as you mentioned, and brought Fauci back because we were starting to get tweets of people saying like, whoa, is this happening? Is this happening? And actually, like, the purpose of that original episode at first was to to comfort our audience and say like, no, 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 no. Like, no. Like, some things have been different. Like, our initial fatality rate for our virus was much higher than what this one was. And so our death rate was much higher. Um, and so we could say that, but then it, I, I remember when we got um, Anthony Fauci on the phone that first time to sort of say, okay, so, you know, you know, Anthony, like, remember we talked about that fictional, so this isn't going to be like that, right? And he was like, we don't know. We don't know. Um, and me and my producer were like, what? Now, but come on, like, nah, but, and it was just like, <laughs> Wendy, we don't know. And I, I just remember like Meryl Horn and I just looking at each other and, and thinking, oh, okay, we better, we better watch out what we say because we couldn't end the episode with, so don't worry. We just ended it with, we don't know. Um, and then from there, it's just, it's just gotten weirder, you know, being, working from home, becoming this character that we created having <laughs> having experts saying the exact same things that we scripted like yeah. that's been really weird um that's been super weird yeah so yeah yeah there was the one episode the uh, in late january that you did which was kind of the first one that you were just talking about where you, dr fauci was like i don't know it's <laughs> gonna happen um i remember you asking like could what happened in Wuhan with the quarantine of 11 million people happen in a place like New York? 
And Dr. Fauci was like, I very likely doubt it. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it seems so unprecedented. Un- now it's, it's, a, it, it's a testament to how normalized things can get so quickly. Absolutely. It, you know, and, and also how possibly universal we are. You know, everyone loves to say, well, of course, that could happen in China. Well, of course, you know, China, China. But actually, you know, in the US, we can do the same things. And, you know, if that's the right move, we can do that. Um, so in that respect, it's been nice. Of course, no one's really focusing on our commonalities <laughs> at, at times like this. But, you know, we could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember listening to it uh, when it dropped, the episode dropped back in October. And this morning I was like, I'll go and listen back to this. And uh, that was an interesting choice for me to make this morning. Um, <laughs> but I, I swear to God, I I got to the part where there's the dramatization of um, the argument in um, Urgency Ward about ventilators and whether the mother, like, whether the 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 mother like screams at a nurse about uh, not getting a ventilator for her daughter. And I had to stop listening. I was like, oh no, this is something that has certainly actually happened. I can't listen anymore. And it's sort of, because I remember that scene of Caitlin Sorry, who was our senior producer, wrote that scene. And when she brought it into one of the edits, we were like wow this is this is really powerful but is it too much you know it feels a little melodramatic and definitely some listeners when it was when it dropped at the time said this is too this is scaremongering but the mm-hmm. but we kept it because anthony fauci was ultimately like actually this respirator thing is an issue and if we did have a huge pandemic we would have issues with respirators and yeah. that's why we we kept it in yeah. one of the i think challenging things for being just a human being living through this and trying to wrap our heads around um, everything that's happening is just the ever-changing information. Um, so, like, guidelines are changing around all the time around wearing masks and social distancing. Uh, and then, but then there's the questions, like, related to the virus itself. Like, we keep hearing different things about where it came from or how it behaves or how it's transmitted. Um and that must all be even more stressful when you're trying to uh, cover the science in um, at, in science journalism uh, as a journalist. Uh, so what are some of the challenges of covering something of this magnitude that is constantly changing and developing? Yeah, it, it has been really hard. It, I mean, particularly because none of us on the team are news journalists right so we're not used to this like really fast paced turn around pump out an article things change the next day don't worry just pump out a different article we are very much slow and steady journalists you know we usually take about two months to produce an episode we take our time we read all the research on a topic we pick our favorite scientists um it's all <laughs> slow and steady uh and now we've really had to learn how to twist and turn to not only the changes in the science, as you mentioned, but also the changes in how people are talking about something. Like mm-hmm. that's been really hard. Sometimes we'll try to tackle a topic. So for example, just last week we did an episode on um, asymptomatic spreaders. So this idea of like silent spreaders, how many people out there don't know they're sick, but could still be spreading this virus. And when we started researching that, we had this like great idea. We were like, there's this 
really curious study about the Diamond Princess cruise, mm. which was just like so weird. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when yes, they went, yes. there was like <laughs> lists of countries affected and then there was the Diamond Princess cruise <laughs> as, because it was at the beginning, it was literally like China and the cruise. Um, and and then and so there were, that on that cruise happened to be one of the best studies that actually like followed people and checked who was asymptomatic and who wasn't. Um, and so we were just going to kind of tell the story of this cruise. But then as we were almost, you know, maybe it was two days before we were ready to drop that episode, all this discussion blew up around antibody testing and this idea that because um, the governor of New York started doing antibody testing in New York and these huge numbers were coming out, like a quarter of New Yorkers had antibodies to this and whereas you know a quarter of New Yorkers haven't been tested for the actual virus and so it just it started embedding these questions in people's minds that are like oh are a quarter of New Yorkers silent spreaders like they, they, you know even though scientifically that didn't exactly make sense just the way it was being talked about like changed people's perceptions and then so all of a sudden we had to say oh crap we got to get like on top of this antibody testing thing we got to get a new expert we got to work out whether these antibody tests are actually a good way to measure asymptomatic people and so it was just like flipping things around it I, I think basically every episode has had a version of that where we think we know the science and then boom some study drops and we just have to like twist things around and and, and change what we're doing mm-hmm. my other job is uh working at the science history institute uh in philly and we have a podcast um there called distillations which uh covers history um, history of science, uh, but they're um, they're starting to do interviews with people who have uh, something to say about coronavirus because you can't work in a science communication organization of any kind and not say something. Um, yeah. And uh, the one thing that's happened that so our producer had scheduled an interview uh, with a um a biomedical researcher that who had done some work on antivirals in um related to hiv aids and it was just kind of going to be about like what do and how do antivirals work blah 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 uh and then like minutes before she uh went to call him she was like well i'll just check the news and see if anything's happened and (laughs) it was literally in the middle of the uh press conference about the antiviral drug that they've been talking about that I literally Rimdesivir. cannot pronounce. Yes. Is that it? Is that how you, pr- I actually, I, I don't I actually know. It's that one though. I don't know how to pronounce yeah. it either. A friend a long time ago said that like, when you can't pronounce things, I always think people are smart because it shows they read. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, I like reader's vocabulary. Uh, exactly. Rev Jessica. Yeah. Anyway, wow. But that's great. Yes. So then she just had to change the course of her whole interview. Yeah. So so to make this even better, uh, the man she was speaking to was the former CEO of the company that developed it. Whoa. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. And like, we were like, okay, we have to like, pr- and like, again, they are, uh, you know, they've been, they've been planning on doing these quickly. Like, oh, we'll record them and get them out in a month, which is fast for them. Uh, and we were like, oh, no, we have to, like, drop this interview now. <laughs> yeah, because in a month, it just feels so weird. Exactly. And, it, and who knows where the science is going to be. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, so one thing I wanted to ask you about was on your show in 
regular times, you're pitting myths against science, and I think right now they're just, oh, there are plenty of myths and conspiracies and oh, really buck-wild things <laughs> being said and done around this pandemic, and I, I assume there's a kind of additional response a sense of additional responsibility to really get things right in this moment. It is kind of like a big global life and death situation. So has has the context of these sort of like conspiracies and all this misinformation that's sort of swirling around everything that you're talking about when you cover the virus, how does that kind of stuff change the way that you handle coverage of the virus and and present these ideas to the public and you know how do you talk about conspiracies without kind of accidentally you know spreading them around more yeah no it's such a it's a a really really good question because there is this constant debate in the team around when is it worth actually interrogating and taking seriously and when is this just just something silly that we shouldn't be giving time to um And I think in my head I have like a little bit of an equation that involves like how many people believe it, how high are the stakes if people believe it, what is other media saying about it? So so in that, like, can we add in anything new? And then how interesting is the science? And so if you kind of think about a bunch of the myths that have popped up recently, um, we had the idea of what was it injecting Dettol? I don't want to like I don't want to put words in the president's mouths. Uh, what was that? UV rays into the bloodstream? Yeah, just just blast your body with UV light and inject your veins with disinfectant. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, right. <laughs> so I mean, so so with that immediately. Basically, every news site was like, no, 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 do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. Um, and even though the stakes of people attempting to do that, um, like, would would be high, um, because every other news outlet was like, this is ridiculous. You know, it, we, th- there was no point in us coming out and saying this is ridiculous. Yeah, too. I think Clorox even came out and said, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, all you can say is no, this is nonsense. Like, there's nothing yeah. else to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we could have, like, really, like, dove into the science of UV rays. It could have been, you know, bottom line. Yeah. But one that you have kind of d- dived into on the show is the Wuhan lab. Conspiracy. Yes. Yeah, and I feel like for that, the equation changed because a lot of the news outlets were at least in their headlines very confusing. So there was a lot of like very legitimate news outlets that had headlines saying things like, you know, intelligence services say this could be linked to a lab or like sources say this could be linked (laughs) to a lab. And then there was that big Pew survey that came out that found that, you know, 30% of Americans believe this. And so it started to get to the level of, okay, this is big enough, enough people believe it the stakes do feel quite high in terms of um you know just uh, like the the truth is just like racism in america and like yeah, right. you know already we're seeing the rise of you know asian americans getting um 
getting you know either verbally attacked and there's some stories of physical attack so so there was questions around that of, uh, and then and then just like ha- having the the honest truth out there i mean if if people do believe it it it, it does have it ends up having these like huge implications for like international relations but also but also it's just a huge distraction i mean right. america's got to solve this and instead <laughs> they're like but 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 it was china's fault and you're like look it wasn't but even if it was you've still got to solve it um for your country so so that was one that that we did feel like and then on top of that so even then actually my editor was like I still don't know if I want to weigh into this. And then I started reading the science of it and the science of how academics find out whether this was made in a lab or not. Hmm. And once me and Rose Rimler, my producer on this, um, started looking into it, we were like, oh, this is super cool. Like this, like the fact that, that academics, you know, at the beginning did were like, oh, this is a legitimate question. Where did this come from? Viruses have escaped from labs before and then they look at the genetics and they can see they can see the clues that show it wasn't and so those clues were super interesting and so for us it was like it hit, it ticked all the boxes i was going to ask if you had any like uh tips on how to kind of confront that when you're like as an individual like confronted with that with like a person that you know that is usually someone that you would think would be like smart and know better <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know this this made in a lab has really crossed the divide. I have um, several people who I would consider scientists, not of not not genetics, not researchers in genetics, but um, you know, an electrical engineer um, and some other like really smart, rational people have been swept up in in the talk of this because that the the Nobel Prize winning. Um, you know, this guy who got a Nobel Prize for virology, you know, also said it, which, you know, and then all these other, you know, he's a, he's a, he's getting on at the moment, you know, and some, some Nobel Prize winners have said some pretty nutty things in their time. So, yeah, like, a me- <laughs> you know, I think we're all thinking of one in particular, but, um, <laughs> but I, so, but so, so that it really gained traction um, and, and became, yeah, it really gave a lot of traction. And I, I think I I cannot fall in the trap of wanting to actually convince people because mm. it's too frustrating and it's too wiggly. Like once I, you know, every now and then I feel the need to do it. You know, it, something rises within me and my rational center is like tired <laughs> and like, you know, and then I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can change minds. I can change hearts and minds. Go give it a go on Twitter. That was, yeah. That's a good idea. Of all you places. Know? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is where, you know, civilized discussion truly happens and minds are changed. Um, and then it's just, in a, you know, because when someone truly, truly believes something, I could try and I could say, look, this is the science and this is the, cool science and exciting science but there's always going to be some little hole they can crawl into the shifting sands of the conspiracy theory okay 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 it wasn't made in a lab it escaped from the lab and i'm like you know it was already a natural virus that escaped in the lab and i'm like it grew right. little legs and walked right out the door <laughs> exactly exactly oh you know, maybe, you know and then i'm like oh, okay possible but here's why i really don't think that's likely plus 
like so many diseases came from animals, came straight from animals, not via scientists. Like, why do we need to go here? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you don't know for sure. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, we're done here. Like, we're, <laughs> yeah. like I'm giving rational arguments and you're just like, but you don't know for sure. Like you could just like hear it in their voice. Yeah. <laughs> my, this is like, this is a little inappropriate, but I feel like I can say it. I have a, a friend who um host this uh radio show in australia um it's it's not a science show it's um it's what what they call a youth a youth radio station triple j and um and they they're they're big fans of the text hotline you know want to want to speak out to the youth that they get that interaction that audience interaction um that youth radio stations love and he has this voice that he pretends any like angry person has and it's basically like a 13-year-old kid masturbating for the first time. And so that's that's the voice of like, oh, yeah, 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 Papa, do you know for sure? And like... <laughs> that's amazing. And if ever I get too upset at Twitter, I'll just be like, oh, yeah, I know, I know you. I know you. <laughs> I heard this one before. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um... Well, this feels like a weird time to transition to this question, but uh, <laughs> everything is weird. It's fine. Everything is weird now. It's okay. Um, That's true. So I think one thing, um, especially in the U.S., um, I think we've come to understand that a pandemic isn't just about sick people, but about a sick system that was unprepared structurally, economically, culturally, in just about every way you can think of. Um, so how do you, as a science journalist, balance reporting the science of the pandemic and this more social aspect of it? Yeah, that, that is another really good question. Um, so this, and I have thought about it a lot, um, because our show, you know, for, for listeners who, who don't know our show, um, you've probably guessed by now, like I'm quite a light-hearted person um and <laughs> I like to have a laugh uh even at things that that are s- serious because even in life I'm like that you know obviously I'm a human being who has lived and gone through hard times um but I just e- even in my world I will say the inappropriate funny thing to try and make people laugh um during sad times that's just that's just how I deal with it um and so I know there's a lot of of podcasts who are doing really amazing, heart-wrenching, important reporting on the coronavirus about those social aspects, the um, those individual stories um, of, of people getting affected. And I, I just feel like that's not my place in the media. It's not to say that we we haven't interviewed some some people and had some some like sad and emotional moments because that comes both with with the science and the pandemic we're living in, but. I really see the role of our show as at a time like this, trying to give people the science that they really want and make it enjoyable to listen to so that you don't need to be as scared as you were. And and we do have, you know, some people really get that and they're like, oh, I love that, you know, when Wendy reports on this, I can hear she has like a smile in her voice, even when I'm possibly reporting on, you know, things that have consequences and are scary, but I think people feel that. But then we do have at times, you know, some people have said, 
for example, with that with that lab, did it come out of a lab? Um, you know, some people did tweet and say like, this felt super jarring. Why is Wendy laughing all the way through it? And <laughs> you know, and I mean, you know, and I like, I mean, we exactly. So so it's it's not for everyone. And you and you know, the truth is as well like. If you've come out of a really bad day, if you've even been listening to it, an episode that had this super heart-wrenching story in a different podcast and then you go and listen to Science Versus, I could totally imagine that feeling super jarring. Um, and, and then and being like, oh, I'm, I'm not in the mood to listen to this right now. Um, so I, I, get, I get it, but I think that's just like where like me and, and our whole team has kind of like our flag and like we're, we're gonna we're gonna still try and make you laugh in in these times i mean like i feel like lady science we are constantly laughing at as we talk about horrible things just yeah um shifting away from the from the pandemic uh to uh science journalism and uh science versus uh more generally i'd i'd love to ask a little bit about kind of the structure of science versus and and maybe how it came to be. Something I find super interesting about the show is that you set it up as this there is a question and science has an undisputed answer and then like that's the branding sort of and then you li- but like every single episode is basically like it's complicated and <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I I love that. You're giving it away. I know. I know. You're you're just you 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 off that science is done by humans and that makes it messy is it feel like is the thesis of every episode in the end. Um which I deeply appreciate. Uh and I would sort of, uh, I'd love to ask uh, how you chose podcasting um, for your science journalism career and uh, how you ended up with that particular approach to Science Versus. Um, yeah, so I, I fell into podcasting very very much, which I think is probably true for a lot of people. Um, yep, I, yep. right? Is, <laughs> I feel we, like... say, we say here that we fell dick first into <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> um yeah so I I started out my first um job as a science journalist was a uh the Asia Pacific correspondent for New Scientist magazine so I was writing print and then um I moved to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and worked on their science tv show um doing research and kind of all the while I I started like dipping my toe into radio um and was it was kind of became uh, a little bit like for local radio, whenever there was a news story, a science news story, and they wanted a non-old man to talk about it, they'd be like, <laughs> there's that Wendy person. She's excited about science. Um, and and then it kind of just snowballed from there a little. Um, and so I was getting asked to do more and more like, like interviews about science um, and science stories. And then the ABC wanted to make uh, a podcast division and I was asked, do you have any ideas? Because they'd heard that science podcasts do really well in Australia. So this was about five, six years ago now. And um, so not not that long ago, I guess. And... I hadn't really made that much radio here and there, um, but I, I'd never made a podcast. I'd only really listened to This American Life and Radio Lab. Like I was a baby, <laughs> baby podcaster. Um, 
my housemate was very much into podcasts and she found the whole thing very funny. And I was like, <laughs> what's that now? What should I listen to? Um, and then and then so I made a pilot of Science Versus for the ABC and it did it did like really, really well beyond my wildest dreams. And then even more beyond my wildest dreams, uh, Gimlet heard it. Um, which is the company I work for now. And that back then, that was just like this scrappy startup, um, as we kind of all know, and got this email from them just as I'd finished my first season that was like, hey, you want to talk? Um, <laughs> and I actually missed the email the first time they sent it because I'd just been working these crazy hours <laughs> to get that first season out. And, and at that point, I was getting like a little bit of fan email. And so, I was, like just a little, you know, like one or two. <laughs> And I was like, oh, another one. I'll read that later. And, um, and then it's so funny to think about because I was, my actual job, because podcasting wasn't paying the bills. So my actual job um, was at the ABC. And, and I, re- I actually remember the moment that I was doing, uh, my other job was just sort of writing science stories. And then I was like, oh, there was this email. I should look at that email. And uh, that, you know, obviously ed- ended up, being like oh Gimlet wait is that was that on This American Life is that the guy with the shoes is that that company like I didn't know anything I wasn't listening to Startup Startup was out but I wasn't listening to it anyway and I was like oh I guess they made a company then huh all right yeah I'll have a chat to you and um I want to say within several months I was in New York um wow wow yeah it was just it was absolutely um insane yeah you mentioned that one of the sort of like stepping stones of your career was being asked to do interviews when they didn't want old white dudes to do them. So I wanted to ask, you know, about that and about being a woman in science journalism and science communication and what the experiences of that in a field that I think, you know, can be very male dominated. Yeah, I mean... For me, I actually feel like at the beginning of my career, being a woman was very helpful, um, particularly for getting onto radio because there was this kind of push for getting, so embarrassing to say different voices when we're talking about women, but that is the truth. <laughs> um, like, you know, and, and particularly in Australia, you know, at least six years ago, that that is the truth talking about science so so it, it was helpful and I, I feel like it did it, it did open doors for me as like oh this woman in science um and and I feel like even making science versus it's been a it's a mixed picture because particularly when I started but still now as you all know it, the, the voice of authority is a man and it's yeah. really fucking annoying and and because I have a smile on my face and I'm laughing there are people who don't think I know what I'm talking about and it's it's really it's really annoying and it and it comes out when I listen to other podcasts hosted by men that do science oh I don't listen to those anymore (laughs) no I mean not and not all of them but a lot of them I'm just like where where are your citations what is going on you know and I look at their reviews and they're like love this so much science so much science and then you look at our reviews and we are just like door-to-door science peppered in puns and at the beginning there was like where's the science in this where's the science and it's like oh you didn't hear it 
the 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 range of my voice was too high for you <laughs> and you know at the moment and like sure I could say oh maybe it's something else about the show but then we have some clear-cut evidence yeah what I would think maybe it's anecdotal first yeah. first degree evidence or whatever like we have had episodes where we'll have two male scientists and one female scientist talk, like talking about whatever different sections and a couple of people will say, you didn't talk about this thing. And it's like, yes, we did. It just came from the female scientist. Oh, voice. my God. <laughs> Isn't that astounding? It's so, and it's, and, you know, at the same time, we, you know, it, it's, it, that is very, and then, <laughs> and then, so, and then there's also times, now I should, I, I will, I will couch this all with saying it has overwhelmingly been a wonderful experience and I, I absolutely love being a woman talking about science and changing the game in my small, small way that I can. Having said that, there are a few <laughs> moments where I'm like, would this have happened if I was a woman? That, you, know, you know how you always play that game. Yeah. We all, we're all playing that game. So recently was interviewing uh, a scientist uh, for, for these, this coronavirus series and he started peeing in the middle of the interview. <gasps> yes. Oh my. Yes, he did. And I was like what's that sound? And then he said, don't worry about it. <laughs> Can you believe that? Well, I mean, I hate to bring it to y'all. I've been peeing this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, this, this, was the, this was actually kind of the special thing about it. So, so me and my producer, Michelle Dang, was, was producing me for this one. And we both were like, it was early on in the interview. And we were just like, what the? is that no surely maybe he was just pouring water and then so we we clipped out um the, the, the segment of him being and then it just so happens that our our whole team um we're all women and so and so we were we were all listening and we're like sounds like pee and then we all independently sent it to our th- those of us who have male partners sent it to our <laughs> male partners to be like this is a guy peeing right and then Blythe Terrell our editor's partner like dissected it and he was like I know this pee sound well here's what happened <laughs> this guy went into the bathroom in the middle of the interview or the or like at the beginning whatever and then he tried to, <laughs> to he tried to like angle his his penis so that the piss was going on the side of the bowl but then <laughs> so it wouldn't make a noise but then he's he slipped <laughs> and that's what we had okay that's the funniest thing i've heard in months <laughs> oh my god i don't know we debated so hard whether we were allowed to use that tape because we were going to be like he's a really busy guy <laughs> i mean i'm assuming you didn't keep it in uh <laughs> we did not we to my i mean that's why i'm getting so much joy telling you guys now this is my ultimate release we've talked a lot about dicks and penises on this episode today i wonder if this gets an e rating <laughs> Well, we've used them, you know, with it's more is more of the anatomical, you know, true. right, 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 rather right. than so. I think it's okay. Well, to end on, I mean, that was a pretty light note. Um, <laughs> to end on something, I think that is very fun and something that well, every person listening will get a sense memory of is 
why does grass smell so nice after it rains? And this is something that you've done on your show, right? Yeah. So um, in the spirit of not uh, dousing people with coronavirus content, um, fully at the end of every episode, we have this like little segment called NCVC, which is non-coronavirus content. Um, And it's just like fun things out in nature. Um, This week is about a dinosaur, but my favorite one so far um, was about this science that is suggesting um, that, that, it, that it explains why uh, the grass smells so lovely after it rains. And he, here's the story. So um, there's this bacteria that actually pump out that smell, which I did not know. It's, it's like a collection of bacteria. And they do it when they're making babies, like when they're making their spores. Huh. And it's to attract this animal called a springtail, which then like slides on up to the smell. It's like, mm, yum. And then as it's like sliding on up, it picks up the spores of the bacteria and then like the springtail like keeps moving. And so like the spores of the bacteria can find a new home and a new place to spread. Isn't that cool? That's that so cool. Very cool. I don't know what I thought like it was, you know, it was yeah. like a thing that I just accepted was a thing that happens and after it rains, I had never once asked why. No. I assumed it was um, nature. I didn't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just nature. It's nature doing stuff. I, I mean, which we're not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I never thought it was bacteria. Farting. Yeah. Well, Wendy, thanks so much for talking with us today. Um, it's been really fun. This has um, been wonderful. And um, for everyone listening and looking for some solid COVID reporting or something to debunk a relative's conspiracy theory, check out the Science Versus podcast. And I hope that everyone stays well and stays home.